Good morning. Welcome to Northminster Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. We are so glad that you are here. Whether you are visiting with us in person or online, we are honored by your presence and grateful for it this morning. Uh, I have several announcements for you. The first is to say welcome to any of you who are visiting with us today. We are especially appreciative of your presence with us. Uh, if you are new here and would like to participate in communion, which we do every Sunday, I would encourage you, if you have questions, to look in the insert to your order of worship or just follow the folks around you. They probably know what they're doing. They'll lead you in the right direction. I would also ask that you pass the worship registry down your row. Um, I know it can be kind of a pain to, to fill that out, but it really is helpful to us so we know who's visiting with us. And if you could do your best to write legibly, that would really be helpful. <laughs> Renee and I spend usually about a half hour on Monday mornings trying to figure out what people have written down. So if you could make that legible, we'd appreciate it. Uh, you will notice this morning our beautiful flowers up front. Peggy Kasky did these for us. Um, I would ask that you look from afar and admire them, but do not take them today. Because at three o'clock we are hosting a concert featuring uh, James Wright, right there, lovely James Wright, one of our choral scholars, and Justin Havard, who is at our piano, of course. Uh, and that concert uh, is free to anyone who would like to attend, but donations will be take, taken up for uh, the Upper Immersion Program in Italy for in summer 2024. So if you uh, can come to that 3 p.m. right here today, uh, I, it is gonna be a wonderful concert. I've seen what's gonna be sung and I'm really excited, so make plans to be here for that. Also, put a note on your calendar for May 4th. That is Go Care's groundbreaking. Um, of course, this church has a long history with Go Care. Uh, Mark is here, David is here. This is a really big deal for them. Uh, this massive new building that they're moving into over in West Monroe. If you can be there, please do come. That is May 4th at 10 a.m there at the new building over in West Monroe. We will send out more information about that. As you look at the insert to your order of worship, you will see that we have a family gathering next Sunday uh, for parents, kids, uh, out at the Mayfields. We're gonna catch fish, we're gonna fry some fish. It's gonna be a really nice time to get together. If you would like to come and you have not signed up yet, please do that. And if you would also sign up to bring something and help make that meal happen, that would be appreciated. Sign up lists are in their usual place outside my office. Also, there is a preaching insert in your order of worship. If you have not filled that out yet, please do so. That is really helpful to me and the staff as we plan for the summer. And then uh, if you were interested, several of you have told me you were interested in helping with our garden, which I am trying very hard to get up and running again. If that's something that interests you, we probably need to make some more formal plans. If you would meet me in my office when the worship service is over so we can do some planning and get some definite uh, things in the works, that would be really helpful. So just meet me in my office and we will figure out a good time to play in the dirt. Also, as you look at your order of worship today, one kind of small change to how we normally do things, the gospel acclamation is not gonna be something the choir does alone. We're gonna do this congregationally. So the gospel acclamation will be the first verse of Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. We will remain standing, we will hear the gospel lesson, and then as a congregation, we will sing the response, which will be verses two and three of that same hymn. So just wanted to let you know that that is coming up. Now I'm gonna ask that we take a deep breath together. 
And we take this deep breath not only to prepare ourselves for worship, but to calm our minds and to quiet our hearts and to focus on this time that we have together because it's special. And this place is special. And it's special because this is God's house. And this is, as we often talk about, a place where you are loved just as you are. One of my favorite things about Northminster that I was told when I first came is that this is a last chance church for a lot of people. Folks who have been hurt by other churches come here. And that's a big responsibility, and it's a wonderful responsibility. And it's something that we take very seriously here. When people ask me about Northminster, what's your church like? I lovingly describe all of you as the island of misfit toys. You know, from that old Christmas movie? We can be the black sheep. We can be the folks who don't fit in anywhere else. But no matter how you feel, no matter what you're carrying, no matter what trauma you might have, this is a good place. This is a safe place. This is a place where you are welcome without changing anything about yourself. Now, that doesn't mean we try to, don't try to be better people. It's a good thing. Jesus would like that. But this is a place where you get to come as you are in this moment, no matter what's happening in your life. So take that deep breath. Allow it to remind you that you are God's child. You were created in the image of God. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out as many doubts as you can. Breathe out anything that separates you from that love, that inclusive wonderful, sacrificial, all-encompassing love. Do your best to believe in it. And then please join me in our call to worship. Come and sit with me. We shall study the word. Come and kneel with me. We shall break the bread. Come and walk with me. We shall part the waters.
see you over there. Come over here. You're too cute not to see. Good morning. How is everybody? Oh, you got a little hurt hand. Uh-oh. So I want to tell you about somebody really special today. Can I do that? Okay, I'm gonna show you a picture and I want you to tell me if you know who this person is. Are you ready? Okay. Who is that? Anybody know? No, I'm gonna cover up the name. It's not God. That's a good guess though. You are at church. Does anybody know who that is? Oh, this is sad. Marley? It's Mr. Rogers. Thank you, Marley. This is a gentleman. His name is, it was Fred Rogers. He passed away a few years ago. And he had a TV show, a children's TV show, that I used to watch. It might still be on, I don't know for sure. But for people my age, he was really, really important. And he had a TV show called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And it wasn't big and fancy, and it didn't have a lot of like really cool graphics. Um, it was kind of a simple show. They used puppets. Um, if you watch it back now, you go, wow, this is really old. But what was great about the show is every show, every show, Mr. Rogers started by singing a song, and it went like this. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read you the words. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? And he would continue singing. He'd walk in his house. He'd take his sweater off and hang it up. He'd take his shoes off, and he'd put on tennis shoes rather than dress shoes. I've always wanted a neighbor just like you. Please, won't you be my neighbor? And he would sing these wonderful things, and he would teach you things, and he would read books. Daniel Tiger, is that what you said? Yep, Daniel Tiger is part of Mr. Rogers. You're exactly right. But what was so wonderful about him was he clearly just cared about you. You could tell even through the TV that Mr. Rogers cared. And he ended, he did over eight hundred shows. Over 800. That's a lot. He did almost 900 shows, actually. And he ended every single show by saying this. You help to make each day a special day just by being yourself. There is nobody else in the whole world who's just like you, and I like you just the way you are. So here's my question for you. Why do you think it's so important to let people know that we like them just the way they are? What do you think, Ricky? Okay, I'll come back to you. What do you think? <laughs> Everyone is special. That is a good answer. What else? Do you have your answer? You ready? Okay, why is it important? Okay. Somebody else, why is it important for us to tell people and to love people just as they are? Do you have any ideas? What do you think? Um. You want to think about it? Okay. Anybody else have an answer? It's important. Hey, guys. Thank you. It's important because God makes us all different, right? Do all of you look the same? No. no. Do you look like me? No. No. Do you look like the people out there? No. No. So we don't even look different. Do we all act different? Or do we all act the same? No. No. Do we all talk the same? No. No. And this is not a very big place. There are not that many people here. And we're all different just here. 
So then if you think about all the people in the world who are even more different from them, hey, keep your hands to yourselves, please. Thank you so much. So it's important that we remember that everybody is special because we want people to treat us as special, and we want to treat them the way they should be treated. And now, you know, that seems like a pretty simple thing, right? That's a really hard thing to do. And I promise you, all the adults in this room have even struggled with that because sometimes people upset us or they hurt our feelings. But it's so important that we keep working to remember that we want to treat people like they are special because we're special and so are they. So I want you to think about that this week. I want you to really make an effort to remember whether it's your brother, your sister, your friends, everybody you encounter was made by God and is special and should be treated that way. All right? Let's keep our hands to ourselves. Thank you. Now, here's what you're going to do. I want you to turn around, face the congregation. Everybody turn around. You're leading this part. Turn all the way around for me, Miss Ricky. Turn all the way around. Thank you. Sit up nice and tall, hands to ourselves, and I will say the first line of our prayer. You say it back to me nice and loud. Adults, congregation, you're welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you.
Let's pray together. You, O oh God, love us from the moment of our conception. You know us and love us in the womb. You love us and you call us from before the moment of our first breath. And you love us when, you, when we see the first light of day. As a parent loves their child, so you love us and we thank you. Help us, dear God, to love one another in this way. Lord, hear our prayer. You love us, O God, from the time of our naming. You love us in our growing and hold us as we take our first steps. You love us and walk beside us as we explore the world with eager hands and eyes. As a parent loves their child, so you love us and we thank you. Help us, dear God, to love one another in this way. Lord, hear our prayer. You love us, O God, as we mature and seek our way. You love us as we become aware of the world around us. You love us as we smile and play. You even love us when we say no and if we stray. As a parent loves their child, so you love us and we thank you. Help us, dear God, to love one another in this way. Lord, hear our prayer. We thank you, God, for loving us when we are unloving for caring for us when we are uncaring, and for calling us to come home when we go farther away than we should. Help us, dear God, to love one another in this way. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our prayers of love this day for those around us, for those we have held before you in our own time of sharing, and for those we have thought of in our moments of caring. We share these names and these thoughts and these people silently with you now. Lord, hear our prayer. We ask all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and our brother. Amen. gospel according to Matthew. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. 
And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. his generation for his life is taken away from this earth. The man asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to the man the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the man said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the Ethiopian man, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The man saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed, 
proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. A story about sharing the good news of Christ. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. <clears throat> oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. Several years ago, the, the website BuzzFeed, it's an amazing time waster if you're not familiar with it, they published an article entitled, Meanwhile in Australia that highlighted some of the more ridiculous happenings going on down under. The first of these was a news story about a goat named Gary who was cleared by an Australian court for eating flowers. Now, I looked this up to confirm this is a true story. It ran in the Sydney Morning Herald several years ago. Turns out that Gary the goat was caught eating flowers outside Sydney's Museum of Contemporary Art and his owner was fined $440. Obviously feeling as though he should not have to pay that fine, Gary's owner went to court and the judge ended up dismissing the case, saying, except, I accept that he did eat the plants, he ate, he ate the flowers, but he may have preferred an ice cream. I don't even know what that means. And so the case was thrown out. And it also turned out, this was the bigger issue, uh, Paul McGurr, he was Gary the Goat's lawyer, Paul pointed out that the police issued the wrong kind of notice using one related to people and not animals. Other items on this meanwhile in Australia list are images of monstrously sized crocodiles, a terrifying picture of a snake in the process of swallowing a crocodile, if you can envision that, a spider so big it covered the top of the spider repellent spray can, which was ironic. A Queensland man who was bitten by an eastern brown snake, the second deadliest snake in the world. He called paramedics and then sat down to have a beer while he waited for them to arrive. Speaking of beer, there was a pig who drank 18 beers and got into a fight with a cow. A koala who stole a half a gallon of milk from a grocery store. Kangaroos fighting in the middle of a suburban neighborhood. And worst of all, and this is just sinful, a chocolate bar filled with caramel and Vegemite. Yeah. Now, of course, this list was curated to highlight some of the more outlandish Australian headlines. If you were to Google the phrase meanwhile and click images in Google, you get memes from all over the place. And if you look long enough, you can find these sorts of lists from pretty much anywhere, including one in Texas Monthly. They've been doing this for years, apparently. And there was one from 2018 that was uh, especially fun, included this little nugget. March 2018, family and college station wrote an obituary in the local newspaper memorializing their beloved six-year-old chicken, Big Mama. All of these lists and internet memes are simply the new iteration of the classic meanwhile scene that's used to cut back and forth between different storylines, right? You, we've heard this before. Move the plot point. 
from somewhere other than where the main character is. Usually it's a villain being nefarious or the revelation of the location of the code that you need to disarm the nuclear bomb because these sorts of scenes are tools for giving important information to an audience and building tension and foreshadowing, right? Those things we really enjoy in movies and theater and books. Shakespeare even used meanwhile scenes in several of his plays. The probably best-known one is from Twelfth Night. And, and the best-known phrasing of that word, meanwhile back at the ranch, was the narrator's catchphrase on Bonanza, for those of you who've watched Bonanza. These sorts of scenes were also used in TV shows like M.A.S.H. and Adam West Batman, and on and on the list goes. But this morning, I would like to argue that the earliest example of a meanwhile scene is this story in the book of Acts about Philip and the Ethiopian official. As a side note, I will not be referring to him as the Ethiopian eunuch. I do not think we need to refer to people by just their sexual parts, uh, so I will be referring to him as a man, not his body. Now, I want you to think about it. Acts is a record of what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. How the disciples, they're now called apostles, spread the good news. Acts is the story of how this church, based on Jesus' teaching, comes into being. It's about the challenges and the internal conflicts that go hand in hand with working with people. There's that old line, church would be so great if there weren't so many people there. And most of all, Acts is about the way a ragtag group, little group, working within the confines of the Roman Empire, survive. And these are really, really big themes. We're talking about making sure widows are being fed, the conversion of Paul, arguably the second most important person in the New Testament. And instead of focusing on any of the numerous stories that have a direct impact on what would become the Christian church, this morning's passage sends us to this little nothing of a story, this meanwhile scene with Philip and this nameless Ethiopian official. Now, one chapter before this story, in Acts 7, the apostle Stephen stands bravely before the chief priests and preaches passionately about Jesus and keeping the law. He calls the religious leaders stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. They respond by stoning him to death. In the same chapter as our meanwhile story, we're not only told about a man named Saul who approves of Stephen's murder, but that he is ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, and committing them to prison. That's Acts 8, 1 through 13. Then one chapter after this story, this same threat-breathing, prison-happy Saul takes a walk on the road to Damascus. He encounters Jesus. He has scales form on his eyes that make him blind for three days. He is converted. He becomes the Paul that we know so well. All of this, name-calling, stoning, imprisoning, encountering the Son of God, and having the scales on the eyes, all of this hoopla is going on. And we're hearing a simple baptism story about a lesser-known apostle 
and a nameless man who is never mentioned again. In comparison with the chapters before and after it, those being the most interesting parts of the story, and aside from Peter, Philip being uh, fit enough to move beyond this chariot, move with it, run with it as it's moving, the most interesting part of this story is the question of where this Ethiopian official gets the scroll he was reading. Because if you notice, we're told in the text, he's reading a scroll. One of the commentators I read this week pointed this out. It's not like he had the ability to download it onto his Kindle. It's not as though while he's in Jerusalem, he found the remaindered scroll table at the local flea market, nor the used scroll section of the Jerusalem Barnes & Noble. These things were not just floating around, readily available for rent or for purchase. Even most synagogues would not have had even a single scroll, necessarily. Nothing in print existed that had not been carefully done by hand as original copies. So where did this man get his hands on a copy of sacred scripture? Ooh, questions about ancient copyright infringement and where people got books. How exciting. We can't even stand it. Except that there is quite a bit more to this passage than reading and running and dunking. Did you notice how much had to go right for this story to even happen? Not only does this high official in the Ethiopian court have to get his hands on the scroll, he has to be reading it in the exact wilderness road from Jerusalem to Gaza Philip is traveling on. And Philip has to encounter the official in the exact moment he's confused by what he's reading to help him interpret it. This is a lot of divine providential fuss to get at this one man who wouldn't have even been allowed into the temple due to his physical body. And although the Bible is full of nameless, faceless people we encounter once and never see again, Potiphar's wife, the garrison demoniac, the woman with the issue of blood, at the heart of this little story is the most marvelous portrait of grace for two reasons. First, because this story makes it clear that we do not get to decide who gets to hear and take part in the good news of Christ. This is a marvelous portrait of grace, first because this story makes it clear we do not get to decide who gets to hear and take part in the good news of Jesus. Secondly, this story is a portrait of grace because it makes it clear that for God and the incessantly active Holy Spirit, it was not too much effort to make everything happen in just the right sequence of events to embrace this one man. It was not too much for the Holy Spirit to make everything happen just right to embrace this one man. Within these few verses, the Spirit does all of these quietly spectacular things to make this come together. And our little meanwhile scene, our little throwaway scene to drive the plot, becomes so much more than just a plot point. Or 
a way to build tension. In fact, this little story from Acts 8 is our reminder that in any given moment, at any given moment, there is a meanwhile scene to which we could cut, a witness to the stunning work of the Holy Spirit is taking place in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of places, and with all kinds of people. And the good news this morning is that the same spirit that brought Philip and this Ethiopian official together at exactly the right time, in exactly the right place, is always moving, always acting, and always working in our lives too. Now, most of you have probably seen the film Saving Private Ryan. Yes, most of us have seen that. If you haven't, it's about a group of World War II soldiers who are sent out to locate Private James Francis Ryan because he is one of four boys and his other three brothers have been killed in the war. The army decides it's not right for a mother to lose all of her children, so Ryan gets a free pass home. Now, in the course of finding and extracting this one soldier from the European front, most of the original squad who was sent to get him is killed in various skirmishes, including Captain John Miller, who is played, of course, by the phenomenal Tom Hanks. Toward the end of the movie, as Miller is sitting against a jeep, he is dying. He pulls Ryan close to him and says in his ear, earn this, earn it. It is a tear-jerking scene. It'll make you cry. The whole movie really will make you cry. But when you think about what is being said to Ryan, you realize it isn't possible for him to earn what these men who came to find him have given up because their sacrifice has already been made. What he can do is live a changed life live the kind of lives the men who forfeited themselves for him and for his mother would have chosen had they been given a chance. He can't earn anything, but he can alter his life so as to be worthy of the gift he was given. My siblings in Christ, the same is true for us. There is no way for us to earn the love of God or the presence of God's spirit in our lives because there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And just the opposite is also true. There is nothing we can do to make God love us less. In fact, God's love doesn't need to be earned because it's encompassing and infinite. There is nothing in life that makes us holy enough for God, not the waters of baptism, not the elements of communion, not even if we were to tithe every penny we earn and volunteer to teach Sunday school for the next 10 years. So if you want to do that, I won't stop you. Combine that knowledge with the awareness that the Spirit is constantly moving constantly working, never ceasing in our lives, just as it was in the lives of Philip and this Ethiopian official. And the only option left, the only option left, is for us to make every effort to live worthwhile lives. And we do this by being open to the spirit that pushes us to run beside a chariot and speak to that one person inside of it. 
We live worthwhile lives when we, as a church and a people, choose to be a safe space for those others would reject or say are not welcome, and we do the hard work of making a safe space a reality. We live worthwhile lives when we address our prejudices, our inherent privilege as a majority white congregation, particularly in this southern town, and we take steps to be anti-racist. We live worthwhile lives by engaging our community in new and creative ways, sharing our story with others, and hopefully having them share with us. We live worthwhile lives when we become meanwhile people. People who make the pursuit of a Christ-like heart our main our narrative. And we live worthwhile lives when we become a meanwhile congregation. Focused on living out God's vision for this special place, but also caring for each other and our community in such ways that everyone who comes into our doors goes back out of them knowing they are loved, knowing they are a child of God, and with rejoicing.
As we come to this time of Easter communion, because we are still in the Easter season, we celebrate the risen Christ and embrace the grace which reaches from the tomb. We embrace faith by committing to love and action. On this day, we shout, Alleluia, Christ is risen. It is through our neighbors and creation that we see the risen Christ. We celebrate the shifting of seasons from one to the next. And as the earth moves from winter to spring and pretty soon summer, it begins to drink. It begins to drink in the warm rain. And creation comes alive once again. And so in this spirit of brightness and life, we celebrate. We celebrate the risen Christ in our midst. We celebrate the table in which we can join together with friends and strangers, loved ones, and even enemies. Through this meal, which has stood the test of time, we covenant to love God. Through a simple meal of grain and grape, we, the children of God, unite. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are guests, and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are sitting and will be standing on holy ground. All are wanted and all are welcome here with our doubts and our shortcomings, our failures and our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Now, if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, Jesus was seized by those in power. But before he was seized, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers, to his friends. Even though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with his friends at the table, sharing time and space with those he knew and loved best. As the night lengthened, Jesus took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he shared it with the disciples, saying, remember me. Afterward, Jesus took a cup, and during his blessing, he reminded them that he would go to the ends of the earth for them. Today, we celebrate this earth-shaking love of Jesus, a love that sent him to the cross and that lives eternally within us, encouraging us, as he did, to live a resurrected life.
Now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste, with superficial worship, so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen.